Father, we praise you as the one who is ruling and reigning over all things. And the one who loves us often more than we really know. And Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave all so that we can stand in this room together and sing your praises. God, thank you for the breath that is in our lungs that comes from you to do that. This prayer that I'm giving to you is because you are giving me the breath to do it. And so, Father, I pray that there would be such a sense of dependence upon you in our lives and even in these moments. And God, I thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, and from your word, Lord, you you show us the way to live our lives. You show us, God, what you are calling us to, and you show us, Lord, what you have done for us in your son. And Father, I'm grateful that, that we have your word, but we also have your, uh, your spirit with us, Lord, who uh, guides us, who helps us to live the things that are said here. And so I pray, Father, that you, uh, Lord, would help me as I open uh, your word in your church to your people, God. These uh, people belong to you. Would you help me to shepherd them, Lord, in, uh, from your word? And God, would you Give me strength, Father, in the midst of weakness today to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, for our good and for your glory, please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So it's good to get to uh, speak uh, to you today. That was really kind, uh, what uh, Deb said, uh, just... Uh, that God is doing some really good things uh, in our church plant. So I am going from here to plant that church in North York, Lord willing. Uh, Everything sort of comes together on that. Uh, And I said this in the first service, and I'm going to say it again because I still feel it. Like I just feel this, I felt this nervousness for whatever reason since yesterday, and I don't really know what's going on with that, but hopefully that will sort of work uh, itself out. And I think Maybe a part of it is that I'm actually just nervous to take this step going from here. Because going from here is just, it's not easy for Kim and I and the boys. We really love our church. Like, we're new in this space, but we, you know, sort of, we were here in, the, in that old nice gym and everything like that. And I sometimes miss that gym, you know. And my, like, when we first came to the church, we just had Zion. I don't know if we, did we have him yet? Okay. We had Zion after we came to the church, and uh, just, you know, he's six now, and, and it's just, it's just kind of crazy to see, like, he's kind of gotten to grow up with so many uh, 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 people here, and we're just sort of, we're grateful for that. And uh, I, uh, in taking this step that I'm uh, going to take, it's just important to, for you guys to know that God has worked in my life in, in some uh, really great ways. Uh, but he's used someone in my life in a great way. And that's our pastor, Ted, who's sitting right there, my boy. <laughs> and he's just used Ted. Like Ted's, I remember the first time I was supposed to, the first message I ever gave was on August 4th. I think it was like 2013 or something like that. And Ted was like, you're doing it. I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> but he just, from that day, he's just helped me and, and really... God just used him to show me how to handle the word well and to be faithful with it. And he's just been a good mentor and friend 
uh, to me. And I just think it's, it's just good for us to give thanks to God for our pastor. I mean, he faithfully handles the word every week, and that is uh, not hard with lots of other leadership things going on uh, in and around that. So just grateful for Ted and for uh, Lindsay. They've been very good to, to Kimmy and I. So a little update on uh, the church plant, just so you guys are kind of aware of where we are right now. So we're in, a, we're in a very good spot. Again, God is being very gracious. There's about uh, a little under 50 people committed to our core group at this point to go with us to start the, the, the church. And uh, next Saturday, we're actually starting our, our equipping time. So we're just getting together to begin training uh, uh, the group uh, to start the church later uh, in the fall. We've actually found a place to meet, which is a huge answer uh, to prayer. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and the, the space that we found to meet is actually right in the neighborhood we want to, to be in. It's, just, it's literally five or so minutes drive from Yorkdale Mall. Like it's, right, it's a school right uh, a little low, uh, below Dufferin uh, and Lawrence. Now, uh, we found the school, but I want to tell you something. There is a, there's a building behind the school that's empty. Yeah, you see what I'm saying up here? Right? So... Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a convent, and uh, the nuns who used to live there, they moved into a penthouse. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, you know, doing it big. So, um, and, and so the school board, they, so they, they sold the building to the school board, but no one uses it. The school board uses it here and there. But here's the best part. Inside this building, there is a chapel that seats 300 people. Well, we don't have it yet. <laughs> I'm getting to the pray for this. Right? So, I mean, if we were to stay in uh, the school that we found, there's an auditorium inside the school. We still would have to put out chairs and stuff like that, but it's a great school. But if we were to able to get that space, it would be, there's just so many ways we could really uh, use that building. It's got, a, it's got an infirmary inside of it. There's a full cafeteria. There's like three sort of, I know this because the custodian at the school that we're, uh, Lord Wingle renting from. He's like, you need that building. And I was like, yes. And uh, so he's sort of helping to try to see if the, the school board will maybe let us use it. Because they actually don't know what they want to do with the building. So if you can really be praying for that, that would be huge uh, for us. And again, uh, where we found the school, we're, we're close to uh, a neighborhood. It's called Lawrence Heights. This is a neighborhood that we really want to do uh, some ministry in. It's a, it's a very, it's a low-income neighborhood. There's lots of gang violence in there. People just really suffering. And one of my hearts for this church plan is I really want our church to be community involved. So I want us to have a presence that if we were to, to go, people would, act, would miss us. And so I want us to be able to, to sort of help uh, families and stuff that are struggling, people who are struggling, very poor in that area. Again, some of my family live uh, right, right there. So just be uh, praying for us uh, on these things. So here's some things you can pray for, for, for God to get glory. We're planting the church not for my glory, but for the glory of God and for people who are not trusting in Christ uh, to be saved. Right? We, want to, we want in this church plant for believers to mature in Christ, but we want people who are not trusting in Christ to come to him. Pray for strong friendships and unity in our uh, core group, that, uh, the people who are committed to this and committed to each other. 
Another big one is to pray for a storage space. Let's pray that, that we've got stuff that we're, we're going to be setting up and taking things down. So just be praying that we find some uh, space to store all of our, our gear. And again, yeah, pray for a real presence in the community as we try to serve the people that are there. And then pray for strength and endurance. This is a hard thing to, you know, start a church from uh, scratch. Like when Kim and I, you know, we took this step, there was, there was only sort of two people that we were convinced that were probably going to go with us on this. And in some ways, I might have like muscled them into that, you know. So um, there's a lot of people who are, are, are with us on this, but pray for strength and endurance as uh, we take this uh, step together. Okay, so John, John chapter 2, we're going to continue in our series on the uh, gospel, in the gospel of, uh, of John. And uh, in, in July of every year, my family gets together. Uh, we, we have a family reunion barbecue. Usually uh, it's in a park by, uh, by square one, and so we all sort of gather there together, and there's just lots of food. It's, it's a really... A really fun time. There's music, everything like that. We, I kind of I look forward to it every summer, and so we always gather together. So this summer, in uh, past summer, we we were there, and um, my cousin, my little cousin, his name's Rayquan. He was he was there, and he was sort of fooling around and running around with some other kids, and I noticed that his shoelaces were untied. And so I'm thinking, ah, he's he's at risk. He's putting some other kids at risk. And so I go over to him, I'm like, hey, bro. Your shoelaces are untied. You should tie those up. And he's like, you're not my dad. I was like, I know. I didn't bring you. And so he's sort of like, you're not my dad. Who he literally is like, who are you talking to? And then after he said, you're not my dad, he went. I was like, if I was your dad, we'd be having a different kind of conversation. See, his response uh, in that moment reminded me that I have authority in some situations. That if I would have said that to one of my fellows, like if I would have said that to uh, River, if, if I would have said to him, hey, Riv, you know, you need to tie your shoelace up, he, he probably would do it. See, I have authority in some situations, but his response reminded me that I don't have all authority. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I have authority in heaven and I have authority on earth. All authority, all the time, in all places. Here's our main idea in our, ser our, our sermon today. The authority of Jesus is demonstrated in the actions he takes and the words he speaks. The authority of Jesus is demonstrated in the actions he takes and the words he speaks. And we'll see that in the story of the cleansing of the temple. Look at verse 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It was Passover time. And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. He goes up to celebrate and participate in it as an act of obedience to the law. See, Jews celebrated the Passover as a way of remembering the exodus, that, that moment in their history when God dramatically rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And the people gathered at the temple to worship God and pray to him. They gathered to confess their sins and offer sacrifices for 
forgiveness. But when Jesus gets to the temple, he's not happy with what he sees there. Look at verse 14. It says, in the, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Here's our first point. We see the authority of Jesus in his passion for worship. His passion for worship. So the people are selling sheep and selling ox, oxen inside the temple. They're also changing money inside the temple. Now it helps us if we know exactly where this is happening. So this is a picture of what the temple would have looked like uh, in Jesus' day. And then here's this picture. You see where the red is. This is where they're doing all that selling and trading and buying. And that spot right there is called the court of the Gentiles. That's where this is happening. See, when people came to participate in the Passover, they needed some things. You needed animals for sacrifices. And, and because people were coming from a far distance, it was, it was really hard to carry that animal with you. It'd be like taking a sheep. You know, you're bringing, if you're coming from North York to Mississauga, you got like a sheep on your back, right? By the time you get to Western Road, you'd be like, I can't do this. It was really hard. And so animals were provided on site conveniently for purchase. The other thing is every Jewish male that was 20 years or older had to pay a temple tax. Now the thing about the temple tax was that the, the temple only accepted Tyrian coins. And so you had to exchange your currency so you had the, the, right, uh, the right coins to pay. Now it's important for us to know here that that Jesus is not upset with the service they're providing. He's not upset with that. He's, he's not upset with what they're doing. Jesus is upset with where they're doing it. He's upset with where they've moved it to. D.A. Carson said, At one time, the animal merchants set up their stalls across the Kindred Valley on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. But at this point, they were in the temple courts. Doubtless in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus' complaint is this, that they should not be in the temple area at all. See, courts were places that were designated for worship. It was a spot where nothing else should be going on so that you can focus all of your attention, all of your affection, all of your love on God. And because God is a gracious and loving God, he makes sure that there was a spot for the Gentiles to do that, to participate in worship of him. But the people buying and selling and exchanging made that impossible. They made it impossible because they were only thinking about themselves. They were only considering their own interests. See, the moment we forget that we are called to love God and to love our neighbor, the moment we forget that, it will not take long until we drift into acts of selfishness. The moment we lose sight of that, that we are called to love God and love others, when we forget that, there will be a rise of selfishness in our personal lives and within 
the church. Anytime that you look at your life and you see that there's just all kinds of selfishness going on, what you will see and know at that point is that you have become the authority and Jesus Christ is no longer the authority. They made it impossible for the Gentiles to worship and pray, and so Jesus clears them out. John says he turned over tables. He poured out the coins of the money changers. There was some furniture moving around. In verse 16, he said, he told those who, were, who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The temple had become a marketplace. It was a house of trade. Instead of prayer and reverence, there's the noise of sheep. Instead of brokenness over sin, people are running around making deals. This is the opposite. The opposite of what the temple is supposed to be. Isaiah 56. God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. For all people means Jews and Gentiles. But again, the Gentiles were completely pushed out. Unable to participate. And this... This is what brings out the righteous anger of Jesus. And what we see here is that John is actually giving us a full picture of Jesus. See, sometimes in our minds, we don't have the full picture of Jesus. Sometimes we have a picture of Jesus that the media presents to us or whoever presents to us. See, it's true. It's true that Jesus is the lamb. It's true that Jesus is gentle. It's true that Jesus is meek. But we should never forget that Jesus is also a lion. That he is the lion and the lamb. And that this lamb side of his character comes out whenever he sees worship of his father hindered in any way. Malachi 3 it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Jesus here purified the temple. He did that. So pure and right worship of God could happen by all people. And yes, Jesus is angry. You can't get around that. He is angry here. But what we can't forget is that this is a sinless anger. That this is a sinless anger that we see. First Peter says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. It's sinless anger because he was angry not for his own glory. He was angry for the glory of his father. It's sinless anger because he was angry out of a love for others. He was angry because the Gentiles were being mistreated. The Gentiles were being ignored. After all this, John says in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. His zeal was seen and in driving the people out of the courts of the Gentiles. Again, so Jews and Gentiles could worship. Like Zechariah 14, 21 said, that he said that he, it may, he made sure there was no longer a traitor in the house of the Lord. In, in clearing the temple, in clearing out the court of the Gentiles, Jesus shows us that as a church, we should always be ready to remove anything that distracts from a worship of God. 
Anything that puts our eyes somewhere else other than God in the church needs to be removed from the church. And so that means as a church, we constantly have to be examining the things that we're doing. We constantly have to ask the question, is that thing that we're doing every week on a daily, or is that thing bringing, putting people in a place where they're worshiping God, or are they worshiping something else? And if we realize that that thing that we're doing is causing people to worship something else, it has to go. Because we are here for the glory of God and for his worship, not for anything else. So the disciples are thinking about the Bible, they remember. But the temple authorities, uh, they were thinking, who does this guy think he is? Look at verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, they're not really asking for a sign here. This was just a way of them expressing their anger towards Jesus for what he is doing. What they're doing at this moment is they're actually challenging the authority of Jesus. But notice that they challenge the authority of Jesus, but they never stop to think, is he right? They never stop to think, is, is there a point, is Jesus making a valid point in what he has done? And this is, the, this is the danger. See, they're not examining themselves. And this is the danger when we challenge the authority of Jesus. When we challenge the authority of Jesus, what is going on in those moments is that we're often not reflecting on ourselves. We're often not listening to what he is saying to us. And in those moments where we're challenging the authority of Jesus, what we're doing is we're missing an opportunity to repent and have our lives changed because whatever Jesus is saying is to us is true. And so when we challenge the authority of Jesus, we are missing an opportunity to have our lives changed. And so we are not to challenge the authority of Jesus. We are to come under the authority of Jesus. See, if their eyes were truly open, they would have realized that the cleansing of the temple was already a sign of his authority. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now they think uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the temple building, but Jesus is actually talking about uh, his body. Look at verse 20, the Jews said, then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Here's point number two. We see the authority of Jesus in his word being fulfilled. Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. Jesus speaks of what will happen to him in the future. He actually here makes a prophetic announcement. And Jesus is also saying uh, to them that, uh, that, that his body is the true temple of God. See, the temple building was where God dwelt symbolically. But the, 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 the body of Jesus was a temple where God dwelt fully. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Dwells bodily. In the same way that they're right now dishonoring the temple. 
It actually points forward to the, the, the reality that they would one day dishonor the true temple. That they would one day dishonor Jesus Christ when they, he- they hung him on a cross where he died to pay for our sins. But if you know the story, you know that Jesus didn't stay dead. That's where you were supposed to say, amen. Right? You said amen for the green light. Oh, I can turn left. He rose from the grave. He didn't stay dead. Amen. That's right. Back there, my man got it. His resurrection shows that our sin has been paid for. He rose from the grave in victory. We've been singing about that. See, Jesus points to his coming resurrection as the ultimate proof of his authority to do what he did. And he could speak with confidence. He could speak with confidence about his coming resurrection because he was the one who had the power to do it. The power and authority to make it happen. John John 10, Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Do you you understand that Jesus wanted to die for us? Again, sometimes we miss, like we don't let these things sort of hit us in the ways that they should hit us. Jesus says here, no one takes it from me, but I lay down my life On my own accord, I am doing it. I want to do this for you. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He wanted to do that for us. And he has all authority to take, to raise himself. And when what Jesus said would happen, did happen. Look at verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. See, once Jesus was raised, everything clicked for the disciples. The text says that they remembered this. They remembered. Now, this is the second time, if you're paying attention, that we're told that they, in this passage, that they remembered. That they remembered. Look at verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. In verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Now, they don't remember this because they had these fantastic memories. They remembered because of the Holy Spirit. They remembered because of the Spirit's work. It's so So interesting that we're talking about remembering because so often we forget about the Holy Spirit. And we don't don't often remember how vital the Spirit is to our life, how, how meaningful he is, and that without him we cannot live the Christian life. We can't have victory over the different things that are going on in our life. But the Spirit is in us and with us. And his ministry to us is... Amazing. They remembered because of the Spirit. John 14 says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It was the Holy Spirit, his faithful work, faithfully bringing these things back to their minds. And this should encourage us. Because it tells us that in all of the moments of our life, as we're going about our life, we don't have to sort of just be dependent on ourselves to remember things from the Word. The Spirit of God can bring it to us in all the moments that we need it. One of the things we can pray is that as I go out today, Lord, would you cause your Spirit to help me to remember the things that I'm reading, to remember the things that I'm trying to memorize from your Word. And when the Spirit, in those moments, when the Spirit brings the Word back to mind, this perfect and sure Word, when He brings it back to mind, we are to come under the authority of that Word. Believing it like the disciples, it says. And allowing it to guide our lives, to guide us through our day. Because we know we are being guided by a perfect and sure word. A word that Psalm 19 says will rejoice your heart. A word that Psalm 19 says opens your eyes. A word that Psalm 19 says makes wise the simple. The word of God imparts wisdom to us, and we can trust the word of Jesus. And the Spirit will bring it back to mind as it is needed. And so we see the authority of Jesus in his passion for worship, in his word being fulfilled. In this last one, point number three, we see the authority of Jesus in his ability to know hearts. His ability to know hearts. Verse 23 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. While at the Passover, while he's there, John says that many believed in his name. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. Jesus didn't believe in their belief. They believed in Jesus, but he did not believe in them. And that's because they believed based on signs. They saw the things that Jesus was doing, but they they didn't understand him. They They didn't see him for who he truly was. And this highlights for us that there's actually two types of belief in Jesus. There's two ways of believing in Jesus. I believed in Jesus for 25 years of my life, and I was not a Christian. Going to church, hoping that the sermon would end soon enough that I could get home to watch the NBA on NBC, hoping my pastor never took off his jacket because that meant he was going to go long. So I, 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 could tell, I could tell you of things in the Bible. I could tell you what Jesus did on the cross. But I wasn't a Christian. 25 years. Knowing these things. Believe in a degree. But I was not a Christian. And that's because I never came under the authority of Jesus. When you watched my life, I was still just doing whatever I wanted. The church thing was for later. 
I didn't see Jesus as someone to be obeyed, someone to be surrendered to, someone who is God. And that is what is going on here. These people don't truly believe. And that's why in John 6, verse 66, it says, many turned back and no longer followed him. As, as soon as things got hard, as soon as things got a little sticky, they're like, I'm out. Peace. They turned from following him. And Jesus knows this about them. Because verse 24 says he knows, he knew all people. He could see what was going on inside their hearts. That's why verse 25 says he needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows the details of the human heart. That's because he's omniscient. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows all of the mess in your life. Jesus knows all of the mess in my life. And he still comes towards us. Think about that. I think I've said this before. If sometimes we're so afraid that people would know all of us. Because we think if they could see me, if they knew who I was, they'd probably back off me. And sometimes that's, that's true. But not Jesus. Knows everything about us and he comes towards us. He is God come to earth to dwell among us to save us. And because Jesus is God, when he speaks, we are to listen. When Jesus looks at a person who does not believe, when he looks at that person and he says, you are a sinner in need of a savior, you are in need of me, I am your savior. When he says that to that person who does not believe, they are to listen in that moment. Because Jesus is God and his assessment is perfect. And what Jesus is saying in that moment, really, he's giving them grace. He's being gracious to that person. He's giving that op person an opportunity to turn and have their life change. He's calling them to truly believe in him. If you are here and you're like sick of your life and the mess that it is, and you want your life to be different, you want your life to change, today is the day to turn and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the one who can take your life and completely transform it. No one else can do that for you. No one can make you different. No one can transform you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so when he looks and he says, you need me, we are to trust that assessment and turn to him. Jesus can see a heart that does not truly believe. He knows what is going on inside. But listen to what he does in the life of a person who has a believing heart. Listen to what he does in the life of a person who by the Holy Spirit's power has, has truly believed. They understand who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus has all authority. They believe that Jesus is the Savior. Listen to what he does. John chapter 1. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Is that how you think about yourself? That if you have truly believed in Jesus Christ, you are trusting him. Do you, do you believe, Dale, do you get up and do you start with, I'm a child of God? Do you start there? 
Is that, is that how you think? Because I, I think we forget that. I don't think we let that sort of drop in on us. We don't let it marinate in us the way it should. That we are, you are a child of God, that your father runs the universe, that your father is in charge of all things, that your father loves you perfectly, that your father will never abandon you, that your father says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Is that how you think? Sometimes I think about how much I love my kids. And, I, and, and if my kids were sort of in a jam somewhere, if, they were, if, something was, if a car was going to hit them, I would, it would, I would never hesitate to get in front of that car. And my love for my kids are imperfect. It's imperfect. And so you think about when, when, it's, when we say God loves us, that we are his child. Take that in for what it is. Because his love is perfect. And you're in his family. Do you think God's going to abandon you ever? If me and my imperfect love would do that for my child, what would the God of the universe do for those who truly trust him? Jesus, he has the authority to do this. This is what he does in a heart that truly believes. He makes them a child of God. Jesus draws us into the family of God, and he has the authority to do this. See, the Holy Spirit who inspired John to write this down, he's challenging us. And I was challenged with this question. He's challenging us to ask, do I believe in Jesus the way the Bible calls for me to believe in Jesus? To actually look at my life and think and say, do I, and reflect, do I believe in Jesus the way I'm to believe in Jesus? Or is it a fickle belief that if things got tough, I'd be out? Or is it a mature belief, a belief that understands that Jesus has all authority, a belief that understands that Jesus gave all for us on the cross, a belief that has moved us to a place where we are under his authority, where we are day by day striving to do what Jesus says by the power of the Spirit. See, it's important to ask this question because all belief is not true belief. My little cousin Reminded me of that barbecue that I don't have all authority. But that's not true of Jesus. He has all authority and he demonstrates that authority by the actions he takes and the words he speaks. And when we recognize this, when we truly believe this, it makes all the difference in our life. It changes the way we worship. It changes how we respond to his word. And when we truly believe, he brings us into the family of God. When we trust him with our whole heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for grace to trust him more to daily find ourselves under his authority, to daily trust him with our lives. And Father, I pray that there would be such an outflow of worship from our heart 
to you and your son. Lord, he is worthy of all praise because he has all authority and he has done all for us, Lord, in giving his life on the cross. And when we truly believe, Lord, he makes us a child of God. I pray for the person, Lord, who truly trusts you, but but does not rest in the reality that they're a child of God and that you are with them all the time in the hardest moments, that you are a loving father caring for them. I pray that they would know that reality so deeply right now. And Father, for the person who has not trusted in Christ, I pray, Lord, you would speak to their hearts by the power of your spirit and cause them to turn, to see that Jesus has all authority, And that when we come to him, he changes our lives. God, thank you for your son. Amen.